This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well, today we are going to have a great time together. We already have so far, but uh, this morning I've got a word that the Lord's laid on my heart for us to receive today. And I really believe that God's going to speak to us in a great big way. So the title of the message today is this. It's called The Bait of Satan. The Bait of Satan. And maybe you've heard that before. Uh, there's a book that I we don't have any left in the bookstore right now, but it's called The Bait of Satan by John Bevere. And I encourage you, you can even look up his teaching on uh, on YouTube and uh, look up that book title, but it is life changing. And we're going to explain in just a minute what The Bait of Satan is. If you need an outline for the message today, raise your hand and the ushers will give you one. And guess what? These guys love to pass stuff out. They're like flight attendants. They just like to come around and give you stuff. So, uh, Cletus, you're a good-looking flight attendant, my man. And so are you, Robert. <laughs> All right. So, uh, man, I'm telling you, the title today is The Bait of Satan. And I'll say this much. Has anybody noticed that we live in a day and an age of completely absurd sensitivity? Okay, now, we, now we've talked about this before, but God wants to talk about this today, that we live in a day and an age, we have a generation here where you can't say anything to anybody without offending somebody or hurting their feelings. And a lot of that is because we are way too sensitive, we are way too fragile and touchy as a society. And it may sound like a joke, but this is not a joke. This isn't funny when we get to a place where we get our, when, you, when your feelings get hurt over every little thing, how useful do you think you are to the kingdom of God? How useful do you, do you think your faith is just working at full capacity if you're too busy being offended and a little sissy and crying in the corner every time somebody says something that you don't agree with? God can't use that, man. God needs people that have a little bit uh, they've got some tough skin, they've got some thick skin, where even if somebody disagrees with you, you don't go home and cry about it, you just get back up and preach the gospel, amen? I think about the Apostle Paul, the things that he went through. What if Paul had been one of us millennials in 2018, and somebody said, well, I don't agree with that, and he went home and sucked his thumb and played with Play-Doh? We wouldn't have most of the New Testament. And so Paul, he got to such a place where he just full out didn't care what was going on, they stoned him to death and the Christians, they drug his body outside of the city gates and they all gathered around and looked at his dead body. They prayed. He came back to life and walked right back into the city and preached again. Do you think that's a sensitive little sissy boy? Somebody that just can't take somebody that has a different opinion. Somebody that just, they get offended over everything. That's not what that is. God can use somebody that has thick skin. God can use somebody that is not terrified about what everybody else says, thinks, and feels. Somebody that can say, like Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God to save all men. And so that's what we're talking about today. The bait of Satan is getting you so offended that you are useless to the kingdom of God. Now, to kind of further illustrate this point, I do have a video that I want to share today. Um, and this is, uh, these are some tips on how to be offended. And so this would be a terrible example of how you should act, but unfortunately a great example of the most of society in 2018. So go ahead and roll that beautiful bean footage and show us how to be offended. Changing results since I learned how to get offended. Now, when people don't see things the way that I see them, I just get offended. And it teaches them how not to see things from their point of view. How to get offended. I'm offended that you would think you have the right to post that to your Facebook account. People have every right to see things from their perspective. As long as their perspective is the same as my perspective. Here's a water for you. I don't drink out of plastic. Why would you not know that? People who don't get offended are insecure, take no self-responsibility, and have no sense of purpose in life. I pray for them. JP, I don't even know why you're offended. 
I'm offended that you don't know how you offended me. JP, I wanted to uh, thank you and show my gift of appreciation by giving you my book because I know you you need it, right? You're just assuming that I know how to read? There's three easy steps to getting offended by anything. Step one, listen to what someone says and then selflessly make it all about you by taking it personally, even if it has nothing to do with you. I really want you to have a great life. You're assuming my life isn't good enough the way it is? How dare you? Step two, you want to create a large amount of tension inside your body. You really want to concentrate on bringing the tension to your stomach, your chest, and your face. How are you doing today, JP? I'm offended that you would have to ask. Step three, now project outrage onto the other person. This will make it seem like you're getting rid of the tension inside your body, but it actually drives it down deeper inside you. And because it stays there, it'll make it even easier for you to get offended next time. I'm offended that you would wear that shirt. I'm actually a little offended by that. I'm offended that you're offended by that. Since I've learned how to get offended, I bring huge amounts of joy to everyone in my life. People feel like they're free to just be themselves when they're around me. I'm just happy I can make such a big difference in the world. I think she's a pretty attractive woman. I'm offended that you would think I'm attracted to women. Aren't you attracted to women? Yeah, but you have no right to just assume that. I've been having life-changing results <laughs> okay, since I learned how to get offended. <laughs>
with Scripture, you know, the Matthew 24 is where Jesus gives a complete look at the end times and tells you it's going to be like this in the last days. And so one of the things Jesus says is in Matthew 24, 10, it says, and then talking about the last days, many will be offended. They will betray one another and will hate one another. We're talking about Christians right here. It says many of them will become offended. They'll betray one another and they will hate one another. And so Jesus specifically warned us that one of the end times traps that we got to look out for is being offended. He didn't say to in the last days people are going to disagree with you so get really angry. That he said Many people will be offended, and that Greek word for many literally means majority. And so Jesus said, in the end times, literally, the majority of Christians are going to be offended people. And do you wonder why people look around in the, you know, churches these days, and, and the body of Christ just isn't doing what it's supposed to, and, and if they would do it, part of the reason is everybody's offended. Offended people are weak people. Listen, I'm being serious right here. Jesus said that in the end times, the last days, the majority of Christians are going to be offended people. And what's so bad about being offended is it leads to other things. It says they're going to end up betraying one another. When you get offended at somebody, your feelings are hurt, you don't like them anymore. Listen, you'll go as far as to betray somebody or somebody will betray you just because you somehow, some way, either intentionally or even unintentionally hurt their feelings, it leads to betrayal. And betrayal, it says, right, it'll go on. People will begin to hate one another. Do you, uh, do you realize how dangerous of a thing that hate actually is? We say, we don't get it because uh, I, I hate their tacos over there. I, I hate it when people, listen, you're using the wrong word. You really dislike it. But hate is an evil, terrible, disgusting word that should only be reserved for true hatred. And so it says right here, though, that these offended people will end up betraying one another and will actually begin to hate one another. And somebody that is full of hatred cannot even possibly be a born again Christian. If you've got hate in your heart, you cannot be a Christian. You cannot go to heaven. And you're like, well, that sounds pretty deep. Well, how about this? What's the opposite of hate? Love. Well, first John verses, first uh, John four verses seven and eight says, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. But he that loves not does not know God for God is love. So you're going to sit there and say, I know God, man, me and God are tight, but I hate that guy over there. Wrong, false, impossible. You may, you, know, you may not like that guy. You may disagree. But if you can literally in your heart say, I, I really mean it. I hate this individual. You do not even know God. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care how much Bible you know, how much you've given to the poor. You don't even know God. Because you have within you the exact opposite of what God Almighty is. What is God? Well, there's lots of things. God is light. God is, but the essence of who God is, is God is love. It is impossible for a true born again Christian to hate any person, no matter who they are, what they've done. I can honestly say there is not one person in this world that I hate. There are some people that I disagree with, some people I don't like, but there is nobody that I can say, I hate them, I want them to burn. And I've, I've, I've been around Christians. I remember one time when I was working at FedEx, this lady that, she told me she was a Christian, and we rode the employee bus together, and one day somebody made her mad, she turned around and said, go to, and told them, and I was like, huh? Uh, what? Time out. You, you're, a, you're a Christian, right? And you just told somebody to go to HD double toothpick? Double hockey stick. You told somebody to go down below, go downstairs, and you're and you're going to sit here and say that you're a Christian. Not a chance in this world. I don't want to hear anything that you have to say because that is hatred. I wouldn't even say that to somebody if I was joking. I wouldn't say that to somebody if you offered me fifty million dollars right now. I'd say take your cash and go somewhere else. But I'm not ever going to tell somebody to go there. 
because there's enough people going there on their own. They don't need my help. They don't need my instructions. It's pretty easy to get down there. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the road that leads to life and few there be that will ever find it. And so you certainly don't need my help. But if I am an offended person, that will lead me to become a betraying type of a person, which will eventually lead me to be a hateful type of a person, which will draw me away from God and will eventually cost me even going to heaven if it's unchecked. Now, offense being offended is the absolute most potent, deadly and successful weapon that Satan has in his arsenal. That's the most effective thing that he has because it's worked brilliantly for thousands of years. It's worked great. If you can get somebody to get offended at other people, you eventually get people that get offended at God. They start to question God. They start to turn on God after a while. Satan has used this weapon with absolute brilliant accuracy since the beginning of time. And it has cost people. And if he can get you trapped to be offended, it'll shut your faith down. Absolutely shut your faith down. Galatians 5, 6, write this down, says that faith works by love. Your faith literally works by love. Your prayers get answered by faith in the power of God, but your faith itself, it works by love. And if you don't have love in your heart, if you're too busy being upset and offended and mad and angry and and jealous and, and, and whatever at everybody else, do not expect that you're going to sit there and be some kind of a prayer warrior because you're not. I know people that, you know, oh man, I'm a prayer warrior. I just pray it down. I pray, pray, pray. And then they tell me the list of people that they don't like. I'm like, are you serious? You're not a prayer warrior. You can't possibly be a prayer warrior if you sit there and, and get mad and offended and hate all these people. It can't happen because your faith is not working because faith works by love. We have got to learn how to forgive people whether they deserve it or not whether they truthfully wronged us or not, we have got to be a people that is full of the love and forgiveness of God. Because I don't know about you, Jesus forgave me when I did some stupid stuff. Jesus not only forgave me, he gave me another chance. And then I did stupid stuff again. Then he forgave me again. And then I did something else stupid and something else. I've done a lot of stupid things. And I know you guys, and I know you have. I know your stories, okay? We're a tight family. I'm kidding. I'm just joking. But anyway, some some of us more than we've done stupid things in this world and Jesus forgives us again and again. He doesn't say, well, I'm offended that you even ask for my forgiveness. How dare you? I already forgave you twice. No, he forgives and he forgets. And that's the love of God. Let me show you something here. Proverbs 4, verse 23, Proverbs 4, 23. We're going to come back in just a minute to. To Matthew 24. But let's look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Who is having the time of their life on this Sunday morning? Yeah. I knew it. I knew you would. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Now here's a verse that, oh my gosh, you've got to get Proverbs 4, 23. Go ahead and get your highlighters out, folks. You need to highlight this one. Mandatory. Well, you don't have to, but Proverbs 4, verse 23, it says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, I think about it this way. If I'm in battle, I mean, I want to be protected. I want to be guarded. But I'd a whole lot rather sustain an injury to my toe than my heart. You know what I mean? I'm going to guard my heart above anything else because I can probably get through and survive a foot injury. I could probably survive some sort of, but a heart injury, that's pretty difficult to overcome. Chances are that's going to be the one to take you down. And so the word of God says right here, more than anything else. I mean, you got to, you know, protect your money, protect your house, protect. It's good to protect all these things. But the most important thing for you to guard in your entire life is your heart, because that'll determine the course of your life. One translation says it affects everything you do. 
So whatever's going on in your heart, if you've got the joy of the Lord, that'll affect every area of your life. You get bad news, it's like, that's all right, man. God's going to bring me through this. I'm cool. It'll affect everything. But somebody that has let offense, somebody that has let hurt feelings get a hold of their heart, it literally determines the course of their life. I've seen people that get hurt feelings, hurt feelings, they'll just pack up and move their whole family. Straight up, change the course of them and their children's entire lives because somebody hurt their feelings. Isn't that sickening? That you would rather, that you would rather move yourself across the country than be man enough, than be woman enough to stand up and handle your business in a godly way. You'd rather just, oh, I'll just blow the whole thing. We'll just move. That's, that's all, all I'm going to do. Your heart, if you let offense get a hold of it, people will quit good paying jobs. Because they just don't like the people around them. Because they let offense get a hold of their heart. They'll split relationships. They'll bail. They'll run out. They'll leave churches that God put them in because offense got a hold of their heart and they couldn't handle it anymore. So they'd rather just quit and be a quitter than somebody that can stand up in the right godly way and handle their business. Offense makes a coward out of really strong men. I, I've, I have seen strong, manly men cower because they've got offense in their heart and just, I'd rather just leave and walk out than have, even have to put up with this anymore. That is sickening. That's a manipulation from the devil to come in and make a fool out of you. Being offended will make a fool out of you and cause you to make really stupid, irrational decisions based off of your emotions. And I can tell you right now, an emotional decision is never a good decision. If I'm upset about something and I want to make a decision, I'm like, no, I'm not. I don't care. I'm going to sleep on this for a couple of days. I'm not going to make a decision right now about my family's welfare just because I'm upset at the moment. Because I'm, uh, I'm, I may not feel this way next week. Things may be different next week. But never make an important life decision in a moment of extreme emotion. You are going to regret it and you're going to do something really stupid that you shouldn't be doing. Can I get an amen on that one? Come on, we've all been right there. And so I'm telling you to guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. And so there's two types of offenses that we could list here. This is pretty basic stuff. Two types of offenses. The first one is those that are justified. You've got your justified offenses where legitimately somebody did you wrong and you have every right in this natural world to be upset. And then we, of course, have our unjustified offenses where you're just being a little pansy and getting your feelings hurt, right? Can I get a witness? We've got those. Thank you. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Uh, but I'm telling you what, there's justified and there's unjustified. But here's the key thing about any type of offense. Both can be fatal to your faith. Both kinds can be fatal to your faith. Now, have you ever seen on the news, I've seen this sadly, where maybe somebody was messing around with a gun, didn't realize it was loaded. They end up shooting somebody. It was a complete unintentional accident, but the results were exactly the same. Someone got hurt. Someone died. And it was an accident. But the same thing happened as if somebody did it on purpose. And the same thing is true with offenses. And maybe it is justified. Maybe you have every right in the world to hold on to some bitterness and rage and a grudge. That's fine. Do it. But it's going to have the exact same consequences as the unjustified offense. It's going to kill your faith. It's going to hurt you. It's going to come and bite you in the behind someday. And, and you're like, well, I, but, but they really did wrong. That's fine. They did do you wrong. Nobody's arguing that fact. But justified and unjustified offenses have the exact same results. They're both going to come and kill your faith. They're going to shipwreck your faith because faith works by love. And I know a whole lot of people that are married to their offense. They're like, I know the Bible says that, but I don't, I'm not ready to give this one up. I'm just going to hold. They have got so accustomed to their bitterness and unforgiveness and rage that they've built a new bedroom onto the house for it. It's got its own TV and they feed it at night. They feed their offense every day and make it grow bigger and bigger. And they're not ready. They just don't want to give it up. 
I have every right in the world to hold on. Yes, you do. You have every right in the world to hold on to your little hurt feeling. Absolutely you do. But that doesn't change the fact that it's going to kill you. You have every right in the world to go out and drink poison. from. You know, that's, that's your decision. I'm not going to stop you. But it, you, you are not free from the consequences of that choice. There are still consequences to our choices. And so maybe you have undeniably, no doubt about it, have been wronged, hurt, pushed down, whatever the case is. That's sad. That's terrible. And I wish it had not happened It did happen, unfortunately, but it's not going to fix things by you sitting there stewing on it, harboring it and feeding it for the rest of your life. It's just going to make things worse. There is a way outside of ourselves. We can't do it by ourselves. That's proven. But there is a way when we will give things to Jesus, when we will look to him, there is a way for us to forgive even those that don't deserve it. And find healing for our hearts. Now I'm not a psychologist. So I can't tell you how to do that through psychology. But I can tell you how to do it through the word of God. Because I have done that myself. I can tell you that through Jesus Christ. All things are possible. Even forgiving people that don't deserve to be forgiven. It's possible. Do you think when the word says that with God all things are possible. It means all things. Or just 9 out of 10 things. It means All things are possible. And if Jesus himself could be hanging on a cross and in his final breaths say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Then I know I can forgive those that have wronged me. I'm not going to hold on to this stuff. I am not going to let somebody else have that sort of dominance over my life any longer. They already hurt me once. They're not going to control me for the rest of my life. I'm going to forgive them whether they like it or not. I'm going to forgive them even if it ticks them off. I'm going to forgive them no matter what because I refuse to let another person or an emotion control the course of my life. They can't have my heart anymore. My heart belongs to Jesus. You can't have it. It belongs to Jesus. Amen? All right. So, we know this much, that most of us in this room today, we fall into these both of these categories. You have things... That are justifiable offenses. I've got things that are justifiable offenses. And I've got things that are just completely unjustifiable. There's just really no reason for me to be offended about that. You have that too. But the point is, is that they both have the exact same results. And I've told this story before, but, and I actually looked this video up on YouTube this morning. I don't recommend this, but anyway. Uh, so we know that, and you've maybe you've heard this, that in some of the native cultures uh, where people catch monies, in some parts of the world, monkeys are actually like a delicacy, man. They say they're delicious. I've never had one, and I don't plan on eating one. But anyway, some people like to eat monkeys. And so one way you can catch a monkey, because they're very crafty little guys, they're quick, they can climb trees, they can get away from you. So in some cultures, they will set a cage out there in the monkey's area, and they'll put a banana right in the middle of the cage. Now the cage, it has bars going down uh, vertically, lines going down vertically. So the monkey will come up and say, oh, a banana. In that exact voice. Oh, a banana. And so they'll climb up there. They'll stick their hand in there, grab the banana, and go to pull it out. But they can't get it out because the the banana is horizontal and the cage lines are vertical. And so it's going like this. And the natives, they just run up with a little mallet or little hammer. And they beat the little thing over the head and bash its brains out. Don't look at that. It's not cool to see, but I have seen it. And so they're beating his brains out. And you're like, and what's the deal? Well, the deal is this. That monkey could get away at any time he wanted to if he would just release the banana and let go and get out of the cage. But he's holding on to something that he does not want to let go of. And while he's doing it, the enemy is bashing his brains in. It would be very simple to fix this. Now, there's a lot of Christians. They climb up and, 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 and they, they grab the banana of offense, the banana of offense. And they're grabbing it and they just don't want to let go, even though the devil is beating them senselessly over the head, destroying their life. And I don't want to let go. I want it. I want it. I, I can't let go. I can't let go. And they won't let go of it. They have taken the bait of Satan. Just like that monkey took the bait. He took the bait 
And it cost him his life because he would not let it go. And there's a lot of Christians that just will not let it go. They want to hold on to that. It's their right. They found it. It's theirs. They don't want to let it go. And that's fine. You have every right in the world to hang on to it. But you are not free from the consequences that the devil's going to come and beat your brains in. It's sad. It's not funny. It's sad. But it's the absolute truth. And I'm telling you this much. Sometimes the truth hurts. But it does not change the fact that it's true. And Jesus said in John 4 that the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free when you know the truth. And so maybe this morning, some of us are sitting here saying, I, well, I, I know it says all this, but I legitimately, I was wrong. Maybe you were. But today's the day to somehow, by the grace of God, let things go so you can walk in forgiveness and you can be free. Because I can tell you this much. I don't want anyone or anything controlling me other than Jesus Christ. No person, no situation, no devil. I only want Jesus Christ being in control of my life. And nobody else is going to sit on that throne. Amen. Number two is this. Offense leads to deception. Offense leads to deception. Let's look back at Matthew chapter 24, verse 11. Are we getting anything today? This is an important word for everybody because everybody has the opportunity to be offended and hold on to something. Matthew 24, verse 11. And so we just read verse 10 where Jesus said many, the majority, will be offended. They'll betray one another and eventually hate one another. And so the very next thing that Jesus says is then... Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So you mean what's going to happen, Jesus, is people are going to get super offended, end up betraying each other and hating one another. And then, as if all those things, then that's going to open the door for false prophets to come in and deceive many people. That's what Jesus said. Offended people are highly susceptible to being deceived in their life. Highly susceptible. Most of the people that I know that have gotten way off track from the word of God somewhere are people that at some point got really offended at somebody and it opened the door. And, you know, I've read this verse so many times. I'm like, Lord, how? How are that many people going to listen to some false prophet and get deceived? I've thought this. And Jesus even said in, in, in one of these scriptures that even the very elect will be deceived. I'm like, so you're telling me that that many Christians are, are going to be deceived and believe false prophets? How is that even, even leaders within the church are going to? How is that even possible? Because they are so offended that it opened the doorway for them to let deception in. And I've, I've seen stuff, man. I, I've shown you this video of this this crazy guy that calls himself Jesus Christ. Maybe so you remember that. Anyway, I think he's down in Florida. And, and, and he literally says that he is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And, you, and at first glance, you think, no, who in their right mind would believe this guy? He's some short, fat guy. Like, Why would you believe that this is it's not Jesus? It's so obvious. He looks nothing like Jesus. No beard, nothing. But here we are. And this guy, he says, I am Jesus. And there's thousands of people flocking to him and selling their houses and cars and giving him all the money. I'm like, what? This is so obvious. This is not Jesus. But yet thousands of people are saying, yes, this is Jesus. I believe that you are. And they're like zombies walking to him. And it's so obvious. How could that many people be deceived? Because Jesus said in the last days, the majority of Christians will be deceived people. That end up betraying and hating. And so I'm telling you right now, offense opens the doorway to deception. And I have discovered this in my life, that offended people usually aren't consistent in the word of God. And when they do read the Bible, they have some sort of a fog or a veil over their eyes and a unique ability to twist scripture. I've had offended people in the most insane ways twist scripture to try and justify their strange beliefs and actions 
And I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's weird when you're offended, you don't see the scriptures the right way. And an example, it would be something like this. In Psalm 139, David wrote, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Well, you could read that verse and, you know, I would read that and you would read that as saying, okay, there's wicked people out there. There's the enemy. And David's saying, oh, God, slay the truly wicked and then the people coming against the, the, you know, the kingdom of God. That's how I interpret that verse. But somebody that's offended, oh, God, slay the wicked. Oh, my gosh, this guy disagrees with me on my politics. He's wicked. Slay him, God. Slay him. Kill him. And you're thinking that's funny, but there's people like that. Oh, this guy, he, he takes my parking spot every day. Slay the wicked God. This guy over here, I know he's wicked because he doesn't go to my church. He has got to be wicked. He's, he goes, listen, that is not what that verse is saying at all. But there are people that when you are so offended, you'll see other humans, you'll see other people just because they've hurt your feelings as being the wicked that we're praying for God to slay. Does anybody see how that could just be a little bit misinterpreted? How maybe somebody that, you know, took a bite out of your burrito isn't the wicked? You know, somebody, you know, ate your nachos. They're not the wicked. Somebody that's wicked. Okay. Somebody that's wicked. So I'm telling you now, you will misinterpret. You will see scriptures in a weird and bizarre way that they never meant that if you go around being an offended person, it'll absolutely fog your vision. Now, let me show you something uh, in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Now, this is a verse that, oh man, I'm telling highlight this one too. Could you do that for me? Could you put a star beside it? Would you mind underlining this one in the Bible for me? Okay. Psalm, Psalm 119, verse 165. And what we're talking about today is not taking the bait of Satan. There are too many people that the devil is just bashing you to pieces. And you could just, in the name of Jesus, let go of this and move on with your life. Let go of the bait. But Psalm 119, verse 165, it says, great peace. Everybody say, great peace. Show of hands, who likes great peace? Oh, my gosh. I... Love great peace. I've had great anxiety. I've had great turmoil and depression and fear. I didn't like it. I like having great peace. And it says right here, great peace have they which love thy law. That's talking about the word of God. So people that love the word of God, they have great peace. But look at this next part. And nothing shall offend them. Nothing shall offend them. You mean somebody that is glued to the word of God, somebody that loves the word of God, nothing shall offend them. That is that's almost if that wasn't the word of God, that'd be hard to believe right there, because I don't know a whole lot of people that nothing can offend them. But the word of God says we know it doesn't lie. It says those that love thy law, those that love the word, nothing shall offend them. That's incredible. So if I see somebody that goes around all the time, constantly offended, getting their feelings hurt all the time, they've got some beef with somebody. There's no way that's a person that loves the word of God. There's no way that's a person that gives the word of God a sincere priority in their life. Now, they may read a couple verses a day. They may pull up the Bible up to see what the verse of the day is. That's cool. You should do that. But that doesn't qualify as loving the word of God, because when we love something, we have no problem making room for it in our lives. When we love a sport, we'll make time for it. Even if we got to put something up, uh, you know, I can say no to that so I can go play basketball. I, the game's on tonight, so I can just cut that out altogether. I love to go do this. When we love something, we make it a priority. We don't just every now and then flip to see what it says. But I'm telling you right now. This is a true verse. Those that love the word of God, it says nothing shall offend them. The strongest people that I know that are faith people, that are word of God people, I don't see them going around throwing fits all the time. I don't see them getting offended. I don't see them always being in some conflict with somebody. Do you know anybody that everywhere they go, 
they have conflict with people. People that they're drama people. I mean, the, every every job that they have, they can quit one and move to the next, and they instantly there's conflict there. I, that is beyond my comprehension. But I, I I know people that they have conflict every church they go to, every job they go to, every school, everywhere they go, they are surrounded by drama and conflict and fighting. And I'm just gonna can I get real for a minute? I don't like people like that. I don't I don't want to be anywhere near somebody like that. I can't stand people like that. I love them because, hey, I don't hate anybody, but I don't like those people. I don't like to be around people that are constant sources of drama. There's enough crazy in this world. I saw a guy punch box in his way by Burger King this morning. There's enough crazy going on in this world that I don't need your drama and I don't need your crazy to come in and mess with the crazy over here. There's enough crazy for everybody. Keep your crazy to yourself. And so there is enough drama that if everywhere you go, you find conflict. The problem is undeniably you. You are the source of the conflict. If you can't get along with anybody at work, anybody at church, anybody at school, anybody wherever, if you are surrounded by this, it's not everybody else. It has to be you're the common denominator. It's you. You are the source of the issues. And that's not mean. That's just getting real. Where would you like to have great peace? You raised your hand and said you love it. Would you like to, to have the joy of the Lord in your life? I think that we all would. I hope that we all would. Well, then maybe it's time to look in the mirror and say, I need to make some adjustments. I need to start changing some priorities and making the word of God a higher thing in my life. But right here, man, great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. And there's nothing sad to see than a Christian that has so much potential, that has a call of God on their life. But they're pretty much useless because they wear their feelings on their sleeve. Let me tell you now, if you want to, I mean, a lot of people, they want to be in ministry and stuff. And that's great. But you you got to get over what people think about you if you want to be a preacher. If you want to be a minister, if you want to go out and do the work of the Lord, not everybody likes you. Okay, not everybody thinks you're Jim Dandy. I know you all like me, (laughs) but I'm just saying in most cases, in most cases. You're not always well received. And so if you're going to be a person that wears your feelings on your sleeve and, 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 and everybody's going to handle you with, well, we, we don't want to hurt him, but uh, we don't know what we don't want to say to him. Then, I mean, I don't see really what, what great use you can be to the kingdom of God. I mean, God will use you somewhere, some way, but he can't do a whole lot through you because you're too sensitive. Anybody in here with kids? How many parents have done the probably the, the worst, most anxiety ridden thing that I've ever done as a parent is take my children into an antique store. You're taking your kids into an antique shop. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm feeling it right now. I'm feeling the anxiety. It's great. Great peace of they which love they law. But I remember one time we I don't know why. But I mean, just we got a case of the stupids and it came over us and we went into an antique store with the kids. And I just remember them like touching things like, "Ooh, what's that? And then you're like running around. No, put it down. Oh my God, no. And I was terrified. I left the store with ulcers. The Lord healed me, but I left the store with them. The God healed me. He did. But but I'm telling you, why is it so scary to have kids in an antique store? Because there's valuable things. But they're all super fragile. You got to handle them with care. And I know some adults, they're like the pieces in an antique store. You don't even want to look at them wrong because they'll just shatter and fall into pieces. You got to handle. Okay, she's here. Just when you say hi, say say hello. Don't say hi because that might offend her. Hello. Uh, you just never know what's going to hurt their feelings. You got to handle them like they're a fragile piece of delicate glass. Because they are so sensitive, they're liable to shatter at any moment. And it's not fun to be around people like that. It, it, I mean, it, it hurts your emotions. It hurts your anxiety. It, it hurts everything. I don't like to be around people that are like that because you never know if you're going to hurt their feelings. I, I, it's not comfortable. I remember this one couple that that did come to the church. And I can say with all sincerity, maybe I can say that. 
Thank you, Jesus. They don't come here anymore. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me. I should. Uh, anyway, I was, I was never been so glad to see somebody leave a church. But these people, I've never seen somebody with such a unique ability to get offended over anything and everything. I like pickles on my hamburger. I'm offended that you would even say that. It's talking about my burger. I'm offended. What? what? Just like that. They were literally like this video that we just watched. Yeah, like, good morning. I'm offended that you would assume it's good. You didn't even ask me how dare you. Whoa, okay. <laughs> I didn't know. My bad. What happened? But every time we turned around, they were offended about something. And so, thankfully, the good Lord led them somewhere else. But they got offended there, unfortunately. And then they went somewhere else and they got offended there, too. So I don't, anyway, they, they got offended everywhere. But I remember this, this lady calls me and Katie one day and is like, Can, I want to come in and talk to you guys. And, and I was thinking, okay, cool, you know. Maybe they've seen the light, and yeah, I don't care if they go to church here. I'd rather they not, but they can go to church anywhere. Praise God. But, uh, you know, if, if we, we, hey, we're always available for you. I don't care if you are a, a knucklehead. We're available, okay? And so uh, she comes in, and I think that she's coming in to, you know, maybe apologize or something. And so, I'm, you know, we sit down with her, and she gets, like, a paper out and starts airing every grievance that she has with pretty much every single person in this church, many of you that are sitting here in this room today. And she starts telling me, and I'm like, these stories were so unbelievable about some of you guys that I was like, I mean, and you know how calm I am. But I mean, I was getting pretty fed up. I'm like, there is no way she said that. No, that is baloney. That is bogus. There's no way that she said that to you. She did, and she meant it. <laughs> Good Lord. I mean, I've never seen such a fragile person in my life. And I mean, are we making fun of her? Yes. Yeah, we are. We are. We are. I'm totally throwing shade right now. Now, the Lord will forgive me later, but we're throwing some shade at the moment because she, it was, I've never seen anything like it. It's unbelievable. The, and if it was a skill, she would be the Michael Jordan of being offended. She'd be the goat, the greatest of all time, both of them. And, and it's, it's awful. It's terrible. But what, what's, what's so terrible is how sad it was. Because they've got children in the mix. They're going, no, they're spinning in circles in life. And everybody, they, they wake up looking for a reason to be offended that day. And honest to goodness, that's a pretty sad way to live your life. If you're just looking for some sort of reason, you're, you're not going to get anywhere in your faith. You're not going to get anywhere in this world. You can't hold a job down because everybody offends you. You can't go to the same church for more than a few months because everybody offends you. It's an unstable, inconsistent life. And it is really sad to observe. And so I'm encouraging us, just like David said right here, man, when you love the Word of God, when you are actually making it a priority in your life, I mean, it, it's hard to get offended. Nothing shall by any means offend them. And so I want to bring us down here to point number three today. Actually, you know what? James 3.16. That's a good one. James 3.16. That's on your outline. Let's look at that real quick. James 3.16. Because this verse stands out to me because my dad, when I was a kid, he printed this out on a little thing that looked like a car air freshener for the car. But it wasn't an air freshener. He hung it on the rear view mirror of the car. So anytime that us kids got into strife, James 3.16. And we're like, remember that, Dad? <laughs> and so, yeah, hey, try growing up with a, a preacher for a dad. Yeah. And, I, and my kids are doing that. But I'm just saying, like, listen, he, he was legit about this. We, he did not want strife in the home. And so we had this right there on the car mirror, James 3.16. It says, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Where envying and strife is, there's confusion. Have you ever been in an atmosphere of strife? Or does, I mean, just the very atmosphere, there's been strife and arguing and, and bitterness. Uh, and, and, and when you're in that atmosphere, I, I don't know about you, but I'm like, I can't even think right now, man. I, there, there's, I'm so confused. I'm like, what, what did we even, what are we doing tonight? What, what did we say we're doing after uh, there, There's just so much confusion in the air because where there is envying and strife, there's confusion, but there's also every evil work. 
So we as Christians, we as parents, we as adults in this room, we've got to start making some decisions about what we will and will not allow in the house. And being offended, we need to say that's one of those things that's not allowed in this house. You're not allowed to come in here and and do this, this, and this. But you're definitely not allowed to come in here with offense. You're definitely not allowed to come in here and bring bitterness and, and, and all this stuff. That's not good. That is a toxic environment right there when you have an environment filled with strife and confusion. And wouldn't you know that the easiest people to get offended with are the people that live at your very house? Come on. Somebody? Yeah. I mean, and those are the very people that you're called to do life with. Those are the very people that God has brought you together with to win the battles that this life throws at you. A husband and wife, when strife can get in between them, it disintegrates a home. It's awful. And, and, even, and even amongst children, when, when there's strife between, uh, between parents and children, that, it's a toxic environment. And that is not how the Christian home should be. And I get it, man. When you've got a bunch of, when you're married and you've got kids and, and all this stuff, it's not always easy to get along with everybody, is it? There's somebody in my house, and I haven't pinpointed who it is yet. They get into the box of Lucky Charms cereal and take all the marshmallows out. Yeah. All the marshmallows. Talk about a great way to ruin your... You go in there in the morning, you pour some of your cereal. There's no marshmallows. A box of Lucky Charms without marshmallows is about as useful as the catcher in T-ball. It's there. <laughs> Serves no purpose. Like... <laughs> I mean, it's there, but there's really no reason for it to be there. And so like that would just rain on your parade right from the beginning. So you could have this happen to you. Maybe you have. And, it, and that could really cause you to be offended at somebody. How good is it going to do for a 32-year-old man to be offended at a 5-year-old for the rest of the day? And then expect God to come in and provide all the needs and, and just rain down blessings upon us because you're mad at a 5-year-old for stealing the marshmallows out of your lucky charms. Listen. We gotta grow up. We gotta be better than that. And especially in our households, we have got to get to the place where we can start to get over some things. And that brings us to point number three beautifully, the best segue of all time. Number three, offense will keep you out of the promised land. Who would like to get to that promised land that God has called you to? God has, I'm telling you, there's a promised land for everybody. There's a land flowing with milk and honey for every single person here. But there are some barriers. There are some things that can keep you out of the promised land that God has for you. And so getting to the promised land is not for the faint of heart. Why? Because there's giants that you're going to have to kill to get into the promised land. There are things that you have got to overcome if you're ever going to get into the promised land. And if you get your feelings hurt when somebody steals your lucky charms or somebody doesn't agree with your politics or somebody likes a different football team, if that's enough to hurt your feelings, it's highly doubtful that you're tough enough to take on giants. They'll probably breathe on you And being the snowflake you are, you will melt just from their hot breath. And so you we've got to toughen up. We've got to get stronger than what we are right now. And so I want to show you a story in Numbers 13. This is an amazing story. One of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. When you look at the whole thing in context. And so a lot of you are familiar with the story of the 12 spies. So Moses comes and they are rescued from 400 years of slavery out of the land of Egypt. It's an incredible thing. They cross the Red Sea. They've, they've seen all the plagues that God sent it. And, and I mean, they've seen miracles like nobody else has ever seen. And so God parts the Red Sea. They get out and he calls them to Canaan land. Right. And so they get there. And a lot of us think, well, then it took 40 years. Well, no, not at first. It didn't take 40 years at first. Actually, they got there within a relatively short period of time. So they get there to the promised land pretty quickly. And so Moses, being a man of wisdom, he sends in 12 spies to spy out the land. He picks one guy from each of the 12 tribes of Israel and they go out. He's like. Just go in there, scout it out, spy it out, 
tell us the good news, and tell us what it's going to take to go in there and conquer the land. And so he sends 12 spies in to go and see what it's going to take to conquer the promised land. And so, as you know, 10 of the guys came back and said, it is beautiful. It's everything we ever dreamed of. It is truly, God was not lying. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the good news. The bad news is we'll never get in there. There's giants. Never. Get, uh, it's awesome. It is everything that we ever dreamed of. Too bad we'll never have it. Oh, well. And I know a lot of people like that, that God has laid out a promised land. Oh, yeah, that would be nice. I Yes, that would be everything I've ever dreamed of. Too bad it won't happen for me. It's not going to happen. Why would you say that? Why would you do that? Why would you why would you acknowledge that there is a promised land and then say you could never happen? What that could never happen to you? Why, why would you do that? We got to toughen up. So here's what happens. The ten say it could never happen, but two of them, Joshua and Caleb, say, "Oh, it, it is everything they said it was. Oh, and it's ours. We are going to have this." Numbers thirteen verse thirty. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses because they were all up in a riot over the bad report. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. Here we go. Disagreement. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. They said, the land we traveled through and explored will devour anybody who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants over there. The descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. See how stupid they are? They're they're predicting what the other guys thought. They have no idea what the other people thought. They're just... Yeah, they must, they thought we were grasshoppers. Nobody ever even said that. Offended people make up what other people are thinking and then tell other people that. He was thinking that I looked like a fool and I'm telling you right now, he thought that. He never said that. You made that up. He thinks that I look, he thinks that I thought, shut up. Nobody said that. Quit putting thoughts in other people's heads, let alone words in their mouth. And so, then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night long. We've got grown men, and I'm sorry, I get it, we're allowed to cry every now and then, but not not too often. So here we are, we've got grown men crying all night long, because somebody said, There's giants over there, man. It's great, but there's giants. So they cried themselves to sleep that night. They were weeping, blubbering, crying. That is not good. When you're, when you're, oh, anyway, let's go, let's go. I'm going to offend somebody. I'm I'm about to offend somebody, I, I think. And so their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. The guys that led them out of Egypt. They start protesting, of all people, of anybody they could protest, they started protesting Moses and Aaron, the heroes, the people that got them out. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord bringing us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? What an attitude. What an attitude. God delivered them, and then they plotted amongst themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Can you see how offense leads to betrayal? Leads to hatred? These clowns were slaves for 400 years. And here they are, they're going to say, we were better off back there. I can't believe this. You said there was a problem. Nobody said anything about actually having to fight any battles. And a lot of you, God has sent somebody to deliver you from your bondage. Jesus himself has delivered you from bondage and being held back. 
But you thought that was it, the end of the story. You thought you'd get to just waltz on into the promised land. You didn't realize that there would ever be any battles to fight once again. And that's what these guys thought. They thought that hey, it's all over. We're good. Let's just walk on in. But between you and the promised land, there are some giants that you are going to have to stand up and fight against. Are you going to be so offended at your leaders? Like, well, let's just go back to Egypt. It was, Go back to Egypt. I'm telling you what, man. I got delivered from Egypt. There is not a single thing in this world that I want with Egypt. They abused me. They talked bad about me. They, they did. Egypt was nothing but the pit of hell. I am never going back to Egypt ever. And they are so offended. They're like, let's just go back to Egypt. What deception. Because offense makes you a deceived person. They were so deceived. They'd rather go back to the slave drivers then be free people and have to fight a few battles. And so I don't know how many times I've seen good Christian people get offended at their leaders. The very people that put their lives on the line to bail them out of bondage. And then they turn on them at some point because they get offended. It's an ugly thing to look at. But being offended clowns your vision and it makes you see things in a very skewed and twisted perspective. Chapter verses 21 through 24. We're getting there. We're getting there. Chapter 14, verse 21. So God is not pleased that they're just going to give up and turn back to Egypt. So the Lord says, but as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. It is not a good idea to test the patience of God. They will never even see the land I swore to give to their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. And so God says right here, all the doubters, all the haters, all the complainers, everybody and the whole nation they don't even get to see the land, let alone walk in it. They're going to die out in the wilderness before I'll let Israel go in. Everybody except Caleb, and we know Joshua also. And so that's why from that point forward, it took 40 years to get in there. Because that's how long it took to kill. Well, not God didn't kill him, but that's how long it took for a couple million people to die off. Every day, 40 years of walking around in the desert. And if you do that math, a couple million people, that was uh, that was several hundred people a day just dying off for 40 years until the next generation rose up. And God said, OK, these kids get to go in and they cross the Jordan River. OK, so they cross the Jordan and they get in there. And here's what I'm getting at. Stay with me. Here's what I'm getting at, because God made this promise to Caleb because Caleb did not get offended at his leaders and turn on them. Caleb did not look back to Egypt. Caleb looked at the possibility of getting to conquer the promised land. So when they get there, Caleb is 85 years old. And they get there and and Joshua is letting people pick out the plot of land they want. Caleb's 85. He says, you know what piece I want? I want that mountain right over there. And everyone's like, you're 85. Uh, why don't, let's just give you a good place down here. There's, there's, there's actually a resort with a golf course and they have golf carts and you can drive around. They play bingo on Thursdays. Caleb, you'd be a lot better off down here. And Caleb says, no, I didn't walk around for 40 years to live in a retirement community. I, I want my mountain. I'm going to cut, but there's giants up there and there were. This is one of the last places that the giants were still at. And Caleb said, no, I was promised a mountain. I want my mountain. I don't care how I'm going to go up there, lay the smack down on some giants, and I'm going to conquer my mountain. And so here we are in uh, Joshua chapter 14. Let's flip there real quick. Joshua 14. Are we learning anything today? So if you can be like Caleb, even if things aren't going, your, if, if you can be tough like Caleb, Watch what God can do in your life. And so here's Caleb, and he's talking to all the young whippersnappers. He's talking to all the young bucks about what's going on. Joshua 14 and verse 10. And here's what Caleb has to say when they're trying to talk him into the retirement community. 
And I, you know, I'm being a little loose in the translation with that. But anyway, and now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. And he's not saying Feel sorry for me. I'm 85. He's saying, look out. You're about to see an elderly man beat some people up. And so he says, as yet, I am as strong this day as on the day Moses sent me. Woo. Yeah, that's what I want to be like at 85. I'm just I may be 85, but I'm just as strong as I was 45 years ago. Just as my strength was then. So now is my strength for war. Both for going out and for coming in. Send me to battle. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Say it with me. Give me this mountain. I don't care if I am 85. I was promised a mountain. I'm not settling for an apartment down there in the retirement village. I want my mountain. And this is the voice of somebody that did not get offended. This is the voice of somebody that didn't get scared and run like a little girl. This is the voice of somebody that knew how to fight the good fight of faith. I'm 85, but I am not going down without a fight. I want my mountain and I'm going to go up there and I'm going to take this mountain. And so uh, this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day, for you heard in that day how the Anakim were there. The Anakim are the giants, the descendants of Anak. They were there and that the cities were great and fortified. So we've got big cities with walls built around them with giants living on the inside. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And so Joshua, he blessed him. He's like, oh, all right, go, go ahead. Go ahead and, and do this. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. So in the end, Caleb got his mountain. It did become his inheritance. He did at 85 years old, climb a mountain with weapons and beat down some giants and kick them out of their houses and take over their entire city and gave it to his family. Whoa. How is that? Because Caleb was a man of God. Caleb was not about to let somebody hold him out of the promised land. And I am encouraging you today. It's all coming down to this right here. Being offended is the bait of Satan, whether it's justifiable or unjustifiable. Either way is going to keep you out of the promised land. And so I am encouraging, begging, imploring, whatever other word we need to use. I am for your benefit, your benefit, my benefit in my life, but for all of our own benefit, for the benefit of your kids. Learn through the grace of God. Give it to Jesus. Become a person of forgiveness. We could teach on this a whole lot longer, but I'm saying it's for you, man. It's for your kids. Be somebody that can let go of that bait. Get your hand out of the trap. And quit letting the enemy beat you over the head. And for the love of everything holy, quit being so sensitive. Quit taking everything personal. Quit thinking that every, just quit being so sensitive. I have found that when I quit being sensitive and I just, I don't care. Listen, my life is so much happier and so much more full of joy when I don't think everybody's out to get me. When I don't think everybody's trying to hurt my feelings. When I just let that go, man. It changes your life forever. And you'll be this man and woman of God that God calls you to be. Amen? We better end there. Let's go ahead and stand up together today. We may have gone slightly over time, but that's okay. You didn't seem to mind too much. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.